This week on the Back Table Podcast. She had recurrent abscesses in the groins, unrelated to the graft. Oh, by, by, some mir- yeah. by some miracle, she never infected any of the grafts. And oh, uh, she thrombosed. The bypass was acutely ischemic. And I did not want to go into that groin. And I also didn't want to risk graft infection. And so we, we did it. The other thing I did with that case is I went high on the radio. So another trick is you do increase the risk of a pseudoaneurysm um, the higher you go. But I did go probably, I don't know, maybe a, a third way up the, the arm. Just You gained like probably 10 or 15 centimeters. Yeah. You probably gained a good Yeah, you gained, you gained like 5, 10 centimeters, and, and that's yeah. sometimes just enough to get you where you need to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Backtable, your source for all things endovascular and more. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on any platform like Spotify or even our website, backtable.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn and keep up with the latest updates and give us feedback through comments. Now, a quick word from our sponsors. How often do you hear about mic drop innovations in radial to peripheral equipment? Here's one. The Sublime Radio Access Platform from Sermotics offers 250-centimeter rapid-exchange balloon catheters. That's long enough to reach from the wrist to and through the pedal loop. And their unmatched deliverability ensures they get there. Ready for another mic drop? Sublime guide sheaths are available in lengths up to 150 centimeters in both 6 and 5 French platforms. The Sublime portfolio even includes high-performance support catheters in lengths up to 200 centimeters. Getting the picture? The Sublime radio access platform is engineered to make wrist-to-foot access not only possible, but practical. Don't just think radial to peripheral, think wrist-to-foot with the Sublime radio access platform. Visit sublimeradio.com to learn more. Now, back to the episode. I'm Sabine as your host today, and I'm happy to welcome Dr. Rami Tadros, who's a vascular surgeon at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York. Welcome, Rami. Thank you, Sabine. Thank you for having me on this podcast. Absolutely. You know, Rami, I've actually heard a lot of good things about you uh, from one of my colleagues and good friend, uh, Paul O'Connor. Uh, okay. I don't know if you remember him, but yeah. Whatever, you whatever he told you, I'm ago. sure it's a lie. <laughs> I hear, you know, he told me that, yes, you're an expert at complex vascular disease. You know, you know your aortic work a ton, but really your true passion is the gym. Uh, and, and lifting weights, is, is, is that still the case? <laughs> it is still the case. Uh, it's something I've been passionate about since I was 15 years old. And even I'll be 40 uh, next week <laughs> and uh, st- you know, still going strong. So That's awesome. Yeah. He was telling me about a video he created of, of you guys, uh, I think, at graduation. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to um, you know, post that as well later on. But <laughs> I honestly, I think it's it's really cool and great the relationship that you guys have with Interventional at Mount Sinai. I think it's unique and it allows for both um, trainees and both programs to come out well-rounded and, and even more skilled. I mean, when we, we took on Paul, he, he had so many more skills than I had when, when I came out of my, my program. So I attribute that to all the good training you guys did. So thanks, thanks for all you guys. Yeah, do. no, it's been great. I mean, um, the training at Sinai is certainly unique. When I'm down in the radiology suite, you know, I bring on the, the IR fellows, the vascular fellows, and uh, vascular residents, and it's um, I think it's the way to train. You know, you learn so much from other people, from other you know specialties like 
I also collaborate with cardiology and, and uh, you know, structural heart um, and inter interventional cardiology. So the three interventional specialties all collaborate a lot. You learn a lot from each other, you know, which I think is important. Exactly. Exactly. You all learn from each other. And, you know, instead of competing with each other, it's just a, it's just way better going the, the collaborative route. So, you know, um, let's start off, you know, today we're going to talk about radial access for peripheral vascular. But before that, I did also want to know a little bit more about you. I mean, um, how did you get to from where you grew up and trained to become the site director of aortic disease and, and even the associate program director at Sinai? You know, um, I grew up in the southwest suburbs of Chicago. And after, you know, finishing college, I actually went out to England to start medical school and spent a couple of years, yeah, a couple of years there before eventually transferring back stateside. And then I uh, ultimately graduated from, from Ross University. And during my fourth year of uh, medical school, just I was rotating on a vascular surgery service. And that's when the integrated vascular surgery residencies were just starting. And the vascular surgeon I was working with, uh, Anil Hangarani, was like, oh, you should think about applying to vascular surgery right out of medical school. And I was like, okay, you know, I, I'll think about it. I was actually applying for general surgery at the time and I decided like last minute, like like October 30th or something to put my name in the, in, uh, for the vascular surgery match. And I ended up interviewing at University of Pittsburgh and Mount Sinai Hospital and ended up at Mount Sinai Hospital. And that's kind of how I became a vascular surgeon. So right out of medical school, I did an integrated vascular surgery residency. And at Mount Sinai, you know, we spent a lot of time down in it with the interventional radiology group. So about several months a year. Um, so, you know, from, from intern year all the way through, spend, uh, I probably spent about a year working with the interventional radiologist during my training. Yeah. So I, we were the, f uh, I was part of the first class of integrated vascular residency uh, trainees at Mount Sinai. And when I, you know, chose to do integrated vascular surgery, there was only six programs in the country and eight residency positions. So it was, it was a new, brand new thing. And I, but I, it definitely worked out and, I, and I'm happy I did it. That's awesome. So, um, you know, what is now your practice now? Is it, uh, what's the breakdown like? Are, I know you're a site director for aortic. Are you mainly doing aortic or what's, what's your practice like? It is a mixed bag. You know, I, I definitely treat a lot of aortic disease. My practice is about roughly 50-50 office, hospital. Um, I, I still do varicose veins and radiofrequency ablations and sclerotherapies in the office. And then at least one day a week, I'm doing aortic work, you know, whether it's a fenestrated EVAR, branched EVAR, sandwiching and snorkeling, custom-made, back table modified, you name it. And then at least one day a week, I'm doing arterial disease, mostly minimally invasive, mostly endovascular. Um, but I still do, I don't know, 25, 30 bypasses a year. Um, so not, not an insignificant number, but definitely but probably about two to 300, but I'd say... 300 lower extremity interventions a year, roughly something like that. Yeah. So. Sizable. So not, not, I mean, variety, right? So aortic, PAD, venous, you know, typical of Mount Sinai, I guess, see everything and, and, and do everything. Is there a specific, you know, other than being a gym rat and everything, <laughs> is there a specific passion you have in vascular disease? Like, do you, you come down, you're like, I love my aortic day or I love my PAD. Like what, what you know, do you I, have, I really do enjoy the variety. I'm definitely passionate about aortic disease in the last Four or five years, I've gotten uh, busier doing uh, spine access surgery, which is also another good niche. And, you know, pushing the limit 
with uh, endovascular revascularizations, lower extremity work. Um, I still enjoy that a lot. So I think maybe it's my ADD, but I like doing a lot of different things, you know, keeps me interested, keeps me motivated. I totally feel you on that. I feel like me too. I mean, that's part of interventional. I just, I couldn't just focus on one thing. I need, I need the variety to, to get me through the day. So I, I totally feel you on that. I'm sure all of us in this field has some sort of ADD because there's no way I could concentrate on one thing. Okay. Speaking of pushing the limits, we're, we're going to talk about radial access specifically for PAD. Uh, we're not going to talk about visceral intervention. We're going to be talking about, you know, everything distal aorta down. And um, I was actually going to try a different format uh, than our typical podcasts. And I wanted to do kind of a debate, uh, a little bit of a debate, because my practice is a very high volume uh, vascular practice. We do a lot of PAD. And I can count on my hand, one hand, how many times I've used radial just for PAD. And so I kind of want this to, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions and we'll kind of, you know, I want you to convince me why I should be using more if that's what you believe. So what, how often are you using radial access uh, for uh, lower extremity intervention? I would say a, a year or two ago, I was pushing it a lot harder and I was doing a lot more of it, partly because of the novelty of it. And, you know, it was, you know, people were just starting to do it and it can work. I think there's still a lot of limitations with it. Um, that's part, part of the issue. So I've done, I probably do maybe one case a month, two cases a month for specific reasons, uh, transradial. So hostile groins, um, your patients have had maybe bilateral femoral endorterectomies and not want to stick the patch. So it's very, very specific you know, situations. I think that really favor transradial and I, I, you can treat from the aortic bifurcation all the way down to the tibials. Uh, I think, you know, we, there's several videos on YouTube of us doing like even down to the ankle, um, you know, transradial, but, but we don't have all the same tools, uh, and variety of different equipment that we have from, for like, say, transfemoral, you know? Sure. Yeah. We're going to get into that, you know, the limitations, that's, that's the big thing, right? But um, how often are you using in, in your, you know, one case a month, or even when you're doing more, how often are you just using radial or you're combining it with a different access, such as radial and pedal or radial? And maybe, you know, you don't want to put a big size uh, access in the groin, but you put like a, you know, a micropuncture right. uh, sheath yeah. combined with radial. How, how often are you combining it? Again, it all really depends. Um, not often. You know, most of the time, if I'm going radial, it's something I think I can do primary radial. That said, I, you know, I have, I have done radial pedal. You know, it, it just... It becomes, uh, it's a long distance to then even snare a wire. You need a f like 450 length wire to be able to, you know, do like a, a radial to pedal snare and have a w external wire. So like using a 260 or, or even a 300 wire often uh, is not going to make it. So I have done it. I have done it, uh, but it's not something I do often. Got it. Yeah, I know that's very important point that the wire length is a limitation. I mean, we don't have many wires that are greater than 300. So the biggest question is, and, and you touched on it already, but let's get a little bit more clarification is what are like, why use radial? Uh, what are some case situations, uh, hostile groin, et cetera? Uh, let's list out a couple. So, you know, I think that there's certainly a lot of advantages, right? In terms of like, you know, bleeding risk, um, patient comfort, patients, patients can ambulate right away. 
Um, you know, we use, a t typically we use a TR band for hemostasis that comes off after about an hour. Um, so the recovery room time is less patients get, you know, the patients often prefer it, like it. And, you know, th there is that, that safety element in terms of, uh, bleeding risk, groin hematoma, retroperitoneal hematoma, pseudoaneurysm. So you, you have that, that patient anticoagulation, all that, all that like stuff. You... Yeah, exactly. So there's that, that, yeah. it, like that that issue, right? So there are advantages there. P specific situations where I've used it, I've had, had a number of patients that I've done aortal bifemoral bypasses on. And so they end up with like a stenosis at like the femoral anastomosis or something like that, where I, I don't want to access the opposite groin, go up and over. It's going to be a, you know issue through a, a bypass graft. So coming in transradial, you know, is very, very helpful. That's a great situation, actually. Right. That's a, you know, we don't have that, my patient population, I don't have that many aerodo bifems that come through, but I mean, that's an awesome example right. of, of that's a, you know, you know, why use any other access. Right. I mean, I've pretty much abandoned brachial access almost completely. I mean, every once in a while, if I'm doing like a complex aneurysm and I'm not, I'm not using the axillary artery, I might consider doing a brachial access, but even, you know, for, you know, some of these complex aneurysm cases, Transradial is helpful too because you can use it for imaging, like even like thoracic branch devices now with for thoracic aneurysms. Using tr using transradial as my main upper extremity access, and so um, I think it's I think with with what we have available now with transradial, I think it, it has largely obviated the need to use the brachial artery, which I think is good too. Yeah, that's great. I mean. In the past, people would say, I mean, um, you know, obviously I, I don't have surgical training. They say, oh, brachial access is so easy, cut down and, and close. But I mean, radial, with the devices we have now, I mean, how can you beat, you know, just a, a simple radial access with, with no cutting down? That's right. right. Yeah, exactly right. Right now, I think probably one of the bigger limitations is, is the uh, access size, like the, uh, the, sheet, the sheath size, right? Because you have a... Uh, you got six French is your biggest, right? Pretty much. And then... I have had situations where I, I want to put a seven French stent, uh, and I end up using, you know, a six, seven slender, but a short destination sheath. And then I just got to like, you know, start up, just try to try to, you know, use a stiff wire to get, get like an Amplatz wire down and then, and rely on, you know, basically no long sheath and just use, do it that way. So, so the, again, you're working around all these limitations and I, I anticipate Taruma will come out with a, uh, six, seven uh, slender destination sheath hopefully soon, but, uh, it's not out yet. Why hasn't that happened yet? I mean, why hasn't a seven, eight, you know, I, I'll do neuro intervention as well. And, and we really, you know, use eight French access, you know, for a lot of intracranial intervention. And I just don't understand why that access hasn't been created yet. I mean, do you have any insight on that? Uh, you know, I think, I think it's in the works. Um, why it's not out already. I have no idea. You you would yeah. think it's a sheath, right? It'd just be easy you think enough. It's just yeah. It's just it's just easy enough. Just just it's, it's a it's an extra size. But I've just been surprised. I mean, radial access. These slender or thin walled sheets have been out for a while now, and I still have yet to see an eight seven. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure if it has uh, to sheath. do with the integrity of the product and them worrying about you know maybe if you get a sheath fracture or, or fraying or something like that. So maybe there's some integrity issues when you when you start doing that and. I'm sure there's a science and, and you have a bunch of engineers that are smarter than me uh, trying to figure that stuff out. So. <laughs> I know. Other than us, just like, hey, just make a bigger seat. You know, it's not. 
Well, I love that example of aorto by aorto by fem. I mean, that that is is a great example. Why? I mean, why would you use any other uh, access? Uh, any other kind of just like slam dunk cases where you would say if you have like a mid SFA, even down the Hunter's Canal SFA, especially if it's a stenosis, not a total occlusion, that's pretty much a slam dunk. I mean, pretty much any stenosis from you know from the femoral arteries down. It's pretty easy to treat. Cool. So no, see, so would you say occlusions like a like you a can it just fempop occlusion? Would you would you even you can. try it? Would no, you, you can try it radial. Definitely can. Again, the issue becomes what tools you have and what bailouts you have. So if you're dealing with a total occlusion, you're going to use you know a one nineteen probably destination sheath to get pretty far down and you know get that down to the common femoral or in the SFA approximately, and then. CSI actually makes a, something's called Vipercanth, which is a 200 length crossing catheter that you can use along with a, like a 450 length glide wire. And I've done it, you know, but again, it's a bit of a, cum, it becomes a cumbersome, uh, you know, setup, right? You have super long wire, super long catheters. Yeah. You're going to lose a little bit of pushability. You're going to lose, you, lose, you know, you lose, pushability. You definitely lose pushability. Compared to something like Anagrade, like it's that, Pressure, you're going to lose yeah. that. Yeah. So, so again, yeah, you lose that pushability. You can do it, but, you know, I, I've also been in a situation where I start something like that radial, you know, you spend an hour trying to cross and, and then you're like, why don't I just go femoral? And then you go femoral and it, it takes you like two minutes and it's like, you know what I mean? So it's, but, um, but again, that's pushing the limit, but also hi highlighting the need, highlighting the need for, for more transradial tools, right? Because that's part of the issue is that you lose that pushability with, with the longer systems and with the longer sheath and, you know, as compared to say anti-grade or even up and over from the opposite femoral, I mean, you still lose, so still lose that. you still lose the pushability. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, just like pushing the limits and everything. I mean, some people will critique and, and sometimes I'll do something that might be a little out there, but I'm like, the only way to do is to push the limits. And if it doesn't work out, then you kind of learn. Right. Exactly. Right. So I like it. I guess try. I mean, you'll try it with radial, then convert to femoral. How else would you know? Right. You know? And it hasn't happened often. I mean, part of it is, you know, as I'm sure you are and many interventionists are, we're stubborn people. And so when you get in there and you're <laughs> like, you know, what? I started this radial, I'm going to finish this radial. And you spend, you yeah, spend, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like you spend <laughs> an unnecessary amount of time sometimes doing. It's so true. You get stuck. You're like, I'm going to do it. I, I decided this way. And, yeah. And yeah, we're, we are innately stubborn people that's right who have ADD that's right that's right <laughs> physicians worldwide rely on peripheral catheters by reflow medical and now reflow is introducing Cora catheters a unique line of coronary catheters that are setting a new standard for complex PCI the Coraflex Coraforce and the Coracross are all engineered with groundbreaking technology and each device offers unmatched bilateral torque with the lowest overall profile available for more information, visit www.reflowmedical.com. Now, uh, just a technique-wise, I mean, I mean, this. I'm going to assume that most listeners here kind of are, are familiar with radial axis technique. One thing I kind of noticed when I've used these um, peripheral slender sheets is that you kind of have to waste a sheath. You know, when I get access, I'll use a glide slender. Let's say I'm mainly familiar with Terumo, and and I know Merit and other companies have. But I'll, but I'll usually start with like a glide slender and then get an 035 wire down and then exchange for this longer, you know, destination slender. 
Is that, you know, how you're doing it? And essentially you, you waste this one sheet. Is there any way to kind of make that more efficient? I don't think so. I mean, you could use, I guess, um, a micropuncture set. Micropunch. You know? And then just put push the wire. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that works too. You know what I mean? But I... I think that's I mean, the way you got to do it. I think yeah, you just use the sheet because yeah. you, you're, you're going to also need a catheter to get to go down, go down, and then position your wire, then then get your exactly. destination sheet down. You know. Yeah, I was always thinking like, oh, how can I make it a little bit more efficient? But are you familiar? Are any of the other? Are all the sheets pretty much the same? Then um, between, I think Terumo and Merit have the yeah, two. Yeah, I think Bard has created one too. I'm mostly familiar with Terumo as as, as you are, so. Uh, I know Merit has product. I've, I've played around with it, um, but I really haven't used it for an intervention. I, I like the Terumo system. I think it's a good system. Yeah. You know, I uh, I never understood the the sizes, though, like 109 mm-hmm. and 119. I, I never understood yeah. that, why it's Well, they, now they have even uh, shorter ones, too. 95. They have 95, yeah, they have 90, 85. 85 yeah, so they have like a bunch <laughs> yeah. of different sizes. I know, I know. I, just, I, was, I was trying to figure out what the... The idea was between the size, but the one, um, so the one issue we kind of talked about sizing and lengths, what devices, I mean, stents and stuff, are they available that long? Yeah. Going to the so Fempop? you have a few options for Fempop. Um, I'll either use Medtronic. They have the Intrust, which is basically their Evercross stent. It's on a five French delivery system. Um, that's 150 length shaft. And then Terumo has their own line of, um, transradial yeah long shaft uh and there there are pros and cons to that stent uh it's a rapid exchange system and so you do you do lose some pushability when you're going down low uh, especially across if you're going across something pretty tight you got you know get a pre-dilated of course first because you do you do lose a lot of pushability with the uh rapid exchange stent that that Terumo has i really like the entrust stent also i like that entrust stent because it's um, five French, so you can actually still image. So you can get the stent down. You can still you can still inject around it. But the limitation there is that it's one fifty length, and so if you have a tall patient, it's not going to get you down to the Hunter's Canal. For reference, yeah. Um, let's just so like our listeners would know, because not many people know lengths that long from the radial. A one, let's say one thirty five, which is a very common length yeah. for some uh, systems. How far does that get you? From and so say say standard five eight you know five six five eight patient, one thirty five will get you definitely get you to the iliacs, okay. That would probably get you down to the common femoral, and it'll probably get you to the upper third of the SFA, maybe maybe. So again, everyone you know everyone's kind of built differently, and then tortuosity also will impact that. So if you have somebody with long arms, tortuous aortic anatomy, um, you're going to lose a lot of length. But 135 in general will get you, reliably get you to the common femoral, I think. Okay. Yeah. That's a good sign. And then 150 then probably like reliably mid-SFA. Mid-SFA. Like Reli- reliably mid-SFA. mid, yeah. mid SFA. In a shorter patient, five foot four, five foot three, probably gets you to Hunter's Canal or even the, okay. or even, or okay. even the pop. And then we mentioned you have some 200 centimeter, the, the Turumo does. So. What about tibial disease? Are, are you are you um, treating tibial disease? Yeah, the limitation the there radio? is not having uh, stents that can reach uh, to tibial. So Ultraverse makes uh, a two twenty shaft tibial balloon that I've actually taken from the wrist down to the ankle. You know, a few a few times. So that is 
pretty good. And then atherectomy wise, you have CSI as pretty much your only option, which is a good device in the right patient. But if, you know, they have, they have the long length, uh, that's made for, for, for uh, transradial intervention. But if you think it's going to be something you're going to stent again, going back to like a, a total occlusion, my preference, my, my typical practice pattern, if I have a total occlusion of anything, it's going to, it's, it's bought itself a stent. You know, I, I like to, I, I don't like to, I made vessel prep with atherectomy and angioplasty, but if they, if they came in with a, a t- chronic total occlusion, my preference is to try to stent that. Um, I just, the, 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 the reocclusion rate's just too high, uh, I think. And so if you got a stenosis, I think it's, again, fair game. You can hit the tibials, transradial, no problem. Sure. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I've seen a lot of, uh, I've seen a lot of recans of, of occlusions, even like a fempop and people try to leave no metal behind and, yeah. and that just occludes, you know, relatively quickly. Yeah. And then it's sometimes hard to get back in and hard to salvage yeah, that. Then it's harder. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You would think it'd be easier because you recanned it already, but it's, it's not. Right. Now, what are some, any, any examples? We did talk about like perfect examples to do with radial. So again, I think the aerial biofem is great, but the opposite way. So like, what about really heavy patients? Mm-hmm. So we got dealing with a huge panis, you know, fungal infections in the groin and things like that. Transradial is a good, good option. Patients that have had endarterectomies, super common, common femoral endarterectomies. Um, sometimes they've had- And they have stenosis there too. Sometimes you, can, you have stenosis yeah. there, but, or if the, the disease is distal. So you do a common femoral endarterectomy and a patch, and then there's, there's residual uh, SFA disease. Um, one, I mean, if, if opposite femoral is okay, you can go with the opposite femoral, but sometimes patients have had this done bilaterally. And that's another really good example where you can use transradial. What about examples to not do? You know, um, what about an iliac? What about like a severe external iliac stenosis? Uh, would you attack that? Yeah, radial? I think so. I think an external stenosis, yes. It also depends on how calcified. Again, your your yeah. options are limited in terms of bailout. So, so if you have to place mm-hmm. a covered stent, yeah, exactly. Like mostly, like you put a seven French viabon there. What are you going to do? Right. So now you're stuck. So now you have to either use the ipsilateral groin. And then, or the contralateral groin and, and do some of that or brachial access. I mean, that's, I mean, in yeah. a pinch, if you had, if, if the groins were not an option you had to. and you had to get a seven French something down there, which you could probably do, let's just hypothetically speaking, if, say you did perf, sure. say you did perf that external yeah. and you're doing this transradial and now you, your patient. You could just get brachial, parallel brachial access. That's probably down. what I would do. I'd just, I'd actually probably put a balloon. Leave the, leave the, leave the wire across, inflate a balloon, just leave the balloon up across the area of perforation and then either ipsilateral, you know, parallel brachial access or contralateral, use the other arm and get brachial access or, or, you know, if, if the femorals are an option, you can use a femoral in that situation. But, um, and that's in that kind of situation, if you did perf, the key is just not to panic and just reinflate the balloon. And I actually, uh, one little trick, uh, is I actually will push the balloon forward over the wire to image, leaving my balloon on the wire. Cause it, a lot of times it's just easier to bring the balloon back and then inflate. Uh, instead of bringing it all out. Correct. Uh, yeah. yeah. Instead of pulling it out. That's a great, you know, especially when time, I mean, the more time the balloon is down, that's just, just bleeding. Correct. That's a great, so like I, did, uh, that's a great trick. Yeah. I, I've, I've done that, you know, and, and, um, Especially in a situation like that, I've done that also when I'm doing like a complex EVAR, and most of them nowadays we do percutaneous. You get a common femoral 
stenosis from the perclose and, and similar idea, you know, you, you, you balloon that most of the time it's fine, but every once in a while it starts to bleed or something. And then, you know, I saw the balloon on the wires, exchange it back a few centimeters. You get enough, um, good imaging ar uh, injecting around the balloon. Yeah. I think like again, to... so if you're doing these interventions with a five, six slender destination, it's six French and you get most balloons are going to be five French. And so mm -hmm. it's generally not an issue now. Yeah. No, those are great. Um, well, one kind of twist, you know, something that we've tried uh, on some patients and wanted to get your opinion is is primary pedal access. What's your opinion? I mean, that's just, we're, we're switching yeah. now complete gears. So we're using similar symptoms. Now, have, have you done that? So, I, mean, I, I don't know, maybe some of Asta surgeon, I have not done primary pedal. I've yeah. definitely done plenty of safari cases, fe yeah. fem femoral pedal, yeah, yeah, raising pedal. pedal. Yeah. And I, I typically will... A primary pedal, no other access, just straight up yeah. a slender I'm, sheath I'm in not, your AT. I'm not a fan. I, yeah. I worry that... It's pretty pretty traumatic. Yeah. I worry that you're going to lose that outflow vessel. And and so it depends. On, and also if you're doing it for claudication, it's like if you're losing, potentially losing a tibial for claudication. I like... When I, when I do anything pedal, uh, after I finish the intervention, whatever I, whatever I need to do, I always plasty the access site. I always, I always get a wire across it, um, get a balloon up, and I usually do like a five-minute inflation. And that that's worked for me. That helps a lot. That's worked for me. It's, work, it's yeah, worked for yeah, hemostasis. hemostasis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, Spasm, anything. Right, so yeah. putting in a four French or four or five slender sheath, you know, some people are even doing like five, six slender sheaths in the tibials. And, 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 I know. And then stenting the SFA for a primary SFA lesion. I, you know, I, I'm very reluctant to do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there's definitely, you can see on socials and, and I, I've had one or two cases that I've done primary pedal and I've, one of them didn't turn out so good, but you know, it's, it's interesting. Something like a SFA pop. Yeah. You, you would rather probably go radial on that right. rather than yeah. a primary pedal. That right. From, and you have the your equipment experience. to do it now. I mean, you can use the Terumo SFA stent and that will get you down to the pop. And so, you know, to, to go just primary pedal, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And if you're doing it for CLI, it, may, it makes even less sense, you know, because now you're sacrificing a, potentially sacrificing a tibial or you lose that tibial. It's, it's bad news, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm also, my technique is very similar to yours where I always get my wire across. Once I, you know, balloon the occlusion, and I don't, I know I don't need that rail anymore. I'll, I'll reverse my wire, and and I always just get that outflow as as, as best as I can, because you know outflow is as important as inflow in, in these patients. So um, yeah, I mean, what do you know? So you've said that your volume of radial has sort of, you tried it more and now it's kind of decreased and now, um, but you still have kind of a steady reason and, and, and we'll continue to do radial yeah, PAD. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Any other devices, you know, that like any other technology, you know, that's coming out that'll kind of help with radial? I think a lot of people, I think a lot of the companies are um, exploring transradial products, uh, atherectomy systems. I don't know what's exactly, you know, coming down the pipeline. But you know, cur you know, currently we don't we don't have you know directional atherectomy systems that we can use transradial. Like we don't have it. I've done a couple total occlusions. Like um, I had a patient that fem pop bypass that totally occluded, and I was I actually used the four French 
uh, what do you call Androjet system uh, to to get to get in there. And I actually I've done a few Androjet cases transradial too. So oh, that's cool. Yeah, okay. so I've done that a few times. Um, but again, you, why'd you do four French? Why'd you do so that late four French other than six French? So, is, it, is the shaft shorter? Yeah, exactly. So on the six French, the, no, I needed the longer length. So I needed the one fifty length. Yeah, um, and well, four French comes. In, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and yeah. then the uh, the six French is only one twenty. It wasn't long enough. So yeah, but the four French worked okay actually for that. Um, and then that, yeah, that's that was pretty a, good. Yeah, that was a lady that had a prior. Uh, she had a fem 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 pop. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> the, she had recurrent abscesses in the groins, unrelated to the graft. Oh, by, by some mir- yeah. by some miracle, she never infected any of the grafts, and oh, uh, she God. thrombosed. The bypass was acutely ischemic, and I did not want to go into that groin, um, and, and I also didn't want to risk I didn't want to risk graft infection, and so we we did it. The other thing I did with that case is I went high on the radial. So another trick is, you know, you do increase the risk of a pseudoaneurysm um, the higher you go. But I did go probably, I don't know, maybe a, a third way up the the arm. Just You gained like probably 10 or 15 centimeters. Yeah. You probably gained a good Yeah, you gained, you gained like 5, 10 centimeters. And, and that's yeah. sometimes just enough to get you where you need to be. Just to go there. Are you okay in that case? Would you have been okay, like if if Andrew didn't work, then lysing through the yeah. through the arm, um, I, keeping, I, keeping the catheter? I haven't the neck? done that, and mm-hmm. I don't know if I would do that. I think my my main concern yeah. with that would be possibly a vertebral stroke or something. You never know. Yeah, I know. I, I had the same kind of question, and we haven't done it, but you know, I think the patients, you know, they're pretty. Anticoagulated and and systemic lytics are on board, but yeah, I don't I mean, know. The last thing you want is and a I don't know if the lytic catheters are long enough, like a drip catheter. Yeah, I think they're like I think one fifty maybe. You're right. I, yeah, one fifty. I I wonder if they're one one thirty five might be the longest that I know of. I actually, you're right. I don't know. Yeah, but see, these are the things you know. These are the things you have to before doing a radial case. You kind of just have to think about and and hopefully in the future we'll just have much more you know, devices and links that are available. We'll have eight French radial sheets. I really want that for any company that's listening. Just please make an eight French uh, thin walled sheath. That would help a lot, you know, and because even if you have that, then you can even do, you know, bailout stenting in the iliacs and things like that. So I think that'll increase the utility of radio for PAD. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think the big thing is just you know, when you're doing these cases to think through them and, and think about what your bailout is going to be, uh, should it fail, um, or should something go wrong? I've had cases transradial where we embolize and now you got a little something in the tibial. And so I've actually used that Viper cap 200 length, go down, empty 20 cc syringe and suck it out. And then, then it's, it's a, it's a pain in the neck. Cause you gotta, you, then you have to re- rewire it again and do it a few times. And and try to suck the clot out or whatever embolize distally. And so you, again, uh, back to limitations of this, of the device of the system. And yeah, you know, how long is the cat RX? Uh, I don't know. I how that will, yeah. It's rapid exchange. So if it's long, at least that could help in, in a radial case. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think always knowing your bailouts. I mean, I think as, as more experience you get as an operator, you think, you know, three or four steps down the line, like on your case, right? Like what can, if something goes bad, you know, just have your stuff prepared and that's what makes you a better operator. 
Well, awesome, Rami. I mean, any kind of words of wisdom, whether it's people who are trying radial or or just in general to people out there? No, I think audience? I think people should give it a try. You know, have take the time to to study it, know what you need, who know what tools you need. You got to make sure that the palmar arch is okay. Usually, you know, compress the radial with pulse ox and you know assess. You know, is there good perfusion to the hand when the radial is occluded? Because with the TR band, it's meant to be um, patent hemostasis, right? But it doesn't always happen that way. So you you, you do sometimes lose the radial artery and it occludes. So you got to make sure. It's a great question. You know, uh, speaking of that, I didn't ask it, but I should have. But, you know, a lot of people are moving away from doing the modified barbell, you know, based on some cardiology literature and things like that. Do you do that for all? So, I mean, you just mentioned, do you do it for all your cases? We do. We I'll, do. I'll be honest, I've been decreasing. So we okay. do We do it as part of our protocol amounts on ice. So it's just kind of reflexively we do it. I've never seen a D, you know, so if, for those that don't know the classification systems, A, B, C, and D, A and B, even C is is, is okay. You can proceed, but a D supposed to be flatline. It's supposed to be contraindicated. I've never actually had that happen so i don't even know what the the incidence of a barbo yeah. d is for you guys too i mean cyanide you guys do a ton of radio yeah, so. yeah definitely um and so i don't think i've ever seen it i don't know maybe somebody with like hand trauma or something like it's possible i guess yeah something you know or maybe some you know dialysis patient who doesn't have an ulnar artery who knows yeah you know? exactly yeah. So we've done ulnar too. Um, um, we've done ulnar. So like. Okay. Yeah. So you've done ulnar access. So the radio is, we always talk about transradial, but you know, you want that vessel to be, you know, three millimeters, two and a half, three millimeters at, at least. And so sometimes you look at, and it's like a one and a half millimeter, two millimeter small radial artery. And you're, you're wondering whether it will accommodate the sheath. You look at the ulnar and the ulnar is big. Yeah, you can, that's, that's an option too. Yeah. You would do that. You would, you would go with ulnar. Yeah. We've, we've done that. It's not frequent, but as many transradial cases that we do comes up like once every, every couple months where we're having to do an ulnar. If you, for, for the purposes of doing PA, peripheral PAD in radial and you encounter a radial loop, are you still okay with Pushing this like six French yeah, slender a radio loop's destination, a, you're okay with yeah, that? Yeah, it's not a problem. I don't think. I think you have to get yeah. the, you have to get the loop out. So for, for yeah, those that haven't, yeah, for those that haven't encountered that, you basically you know you get a stiff wire and you kind of put back tension on your wire catheter or you know wire and sheath and kind of almost pull out the loop and then it usually straightens out and then you can proceed. Um, the other thing is vessel prep, right? So we use Verapamil along with uh, heparin and nitro and that preps the vessel and so that you don't get spasm or at least minimizes the risk of spasm. And then even if you do get spasm, you can, you know, redose, you can give systemic nitro. We've, uh, we've gone and give uh, local anesthetic along the length of the radial artery, uh, different things you can do. Yep. Try to, you can do a brachial, you can do a nerve block. Yeah. To, you have a vulse. I have a vulse yeah. a couple. So I've evolved a couple in that situation. I've maintained the wire access and then I've just embolized proximal and distal. So just keep the wire access and then just, you know, basically get some coils and just coil proximal, coil distal. And um, I've had a few pseudoaneurysms too, uh, you know, that we've just injected with thrombin like you would any other pseudoaneurysm. 
probably very easy to see. I bet very easy. Radial is just yeah. You were saying nerve block, brachial nerve block. Uh, I, I haven't had any experience with that. Yeah. So, so there's one. I haven't done it, but um, basically, you know, you can just see the brachial plexus if you're looking at, and just inject lidocaine right there, and that'll uh, dilate. And then also another one is uh, putting a BP cuff up and, and and put it up for like five minutes, induce ischemia in the arm, and then take it down real quick. And basically, you have a reactive vasodilation that can. That actually helped me in a case once. And so, yeah, there's, there's many different little ways. One thing not to do is... Is pull. Uh, yeah. Well, you, you sometimes you have to, but the if you're going to do that, don't lose your wire, of course. And But don't use a non-hydrophilic sheath. I, I had to bail somebody out for that exact reason. They used a non-hydrophilic sheath in the radial and it just fused. And then that one I actually just took to the operating room and I had to like... I pulled it out and then just oh my had to, I, I just, you got the worm that time you got the worm yeah on well, the, I, I, on that the... that case I just um I, I can't remember I, I just had to open up the forearm find the radial artery I incised the radio right, uh, right. no I incised it pulled the uh, sheath out and then I just patch I patch angioplasty the radial artery I probably could have just ligated wow. it I probably could have just ligated it yeah no no that's cool that yeah you, you can. You can fix those problems. That's where us endovascular only specialties. Yeah. I mean, that's oh, I've know, I've, done, I've done it. I've done just could just coil the thing. I, like I said, I've I've also few. <laughs> and when you're down in the radiology suite and you're there and you're the one that just caused the perforation, you know, you're just yeah. like, ah, oh, do I really want to like go up to the OR right now and like still have <laughs> full, full day of cases to do? You know, it's not like yeah, yeah really, let me just take care. So I'll just take care of it now and then. Now, the, the the one advantage I have is if, say, the arm did become ischemic, I can always do a bypass, Yeah, you know, so can, always keep yeah. that option open, you know. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, I think this this discussion was was really solid. I mean, you know, I I love the case examples we've come up with. And even this, this is end, end discussion of, of what can go wrong is, is really good to kind of discuss about for radial and how to bail you out. So... Rami, thanks. Thanks for coming on today. Thank that you. That was awesome. Appreciate the invitation. It's definitely a pleasure uh, uh, finally getting to meet you. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let Paul know, you know, that we're going to all go hit the gym together That's at some right. point. Too. That's right. <laughs> thanks for coming on and, and everything. And, uh, you know, we hope to have you on soon again, too. Sounds Rami. good, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Don, Michael Barraza, Jacob Fleming, and Ali Behetti. Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon. With support from Josh McWhorter, Aaron Bowles, Nick Shellcross, and Ness Smith Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz. Article and transcript support by Taylor Robinson and Delaney Aguilar. Social media and PR by Anne Dang. Administrative support provided by Jim Lee Kinnebrew. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening. 